This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Jenny Manas, welcome to the Mom Curious podcast. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. I um, was introduced to your work through one of our other guests, Caitlin Greer. Um, I know that you guys know each other from the education world. Are you are you a teacher or were you a teacher? I was a teacher for a little while in a past life, but that is not who I currently am. Um, but yeah, we know each other from the education world. But you're a homeschool expert. Wouldn't that make you a teacher in and of itself, kind of? Possibly. I think about it a little differently just because the way that we homeschool and the way that I support clients is very outside the conventional paradigm. So mm. I think in translation, yeah, teacher, but I think of myself more as a facilitator. Well, if you could introduce yourself to the listener, I would be so grateful. Sure. Um, I am a, I'm Jenny Manas, and I am a homeschool consultant. Um, I kind of fell into that work. Um, I've always worked with kids. I've worked in education for a number of years, including as a public school teacher for a short amount of time. Um, and I fell into homeschool consulting um, after being thrown into the homeschool world unexpectedly and realizing I actually enjoyed the translation of what kids were doing with their time into language the DOE understands and respects. Mm -hmm. So I've done that now for, oh gosh, probably about 11 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always done that alongside any other work that I've done, but I've worked in alternative schools Um, and I've worked in public schools, I've worked in daycares, but I'm now also staying at home with my three young children and homeschooling them as well. Amazing. What our executive producer, Laura, is obsessed with the New York school system. So this is like, um, you you are too. Okay. Well, good. But then you're on the right page. Um, well, you're obsessed with it, but not in a not in like a great way. Is it? And maybe it's not New York. Maybe it's all of America. Maybe it's. You tell me. What is? What are your? What are your um, impressions of of the difference between school outside of the home and homeschool? Yeah, I'm fascinated by education in general. Um, just because I lived in Brooklyn when I was thrown into the homeschool world and then alternative education, I am fascinated by and very well-versed on the New York City school system and then the larger, I shouldn't say larger, than the other individual um, districts within New York. So I work with clients all over the state of New York. I have worked with clients throughout the rest of the country and internationally. Mm. So I find education, the concept of education, the concept of learning, the assumptions that we have culturally and even just as a human race come to um, agree upon what education and what learning looks like. I find it fascinating, Mm. like very fascinating. So Mm. I think that there are some really strong similarities between educating inside of a school system and educating at home or outside of a school system. And there are some really huge differences, which I'm sure we can get more into, but yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective. Um, you know, particularly since you worked in the school system. Yeah. Um, so 
A lot of people talk about the school system right now as being broken. It's a very common refrain that that the conventional school system is broken and it needs to be fixed. I actually happen to think that the conventional school system works exactly as designed. And what's actually happening is that people are starting to wake up to the fact that maybe we want to change that design or maybe it's no longer serving our purposes, right? Because the world has changed immensely since school as a concept, a public schooling system came into being to train workers to enter a work system that benefited a society. And it benefited the community to have some basically educated people who could work and be productive and contribute to a community and a society, right? Yep. Our world has shifted and our education system has not really. We've tried out a few experiments. We've tried out some some different ideas within that conventional system. But the basic system of having a basic education that trains you to have a basic job to be a productive member of society and that being kind of like a main goal of that system hasn't really changed. So I don't think the school system is broken. I think it works exactly as designed and we have to decide if that's the design we actually want and if it's aiming for the right goals. But well, how is the outside of that system gives you more freedom. But how, how has the world changed so much? I mean, don't we want compliant people who work well, who make money? Oh, don't that we? word compliant. I don't know about compliant. No, no, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's what the that's what yeah. the educational system is really asking for us yeah. to sit down, be quiet, ask the question when you raise your hand yeah. and be considerate to others. Yeah. Be considerate to others, I, I think, is a, a worthy goal. But I but yeah. I also know that children are naturally kind of rude and <laughs> gruff. And, uh, to be fair, most adults are kind of rude, too. Like, we, most of us can be gruff, and we make jokes about things like um, resting bitch face, right? Like, we make jokes about those things as adults, but we actually don't allow kids to get away with that stuff in a school really system. Don't. So it's really interesting that, like, we have this, basically, this training program, which used to be from the age of five or six, but now it's really from the age of four, three, two, two. one. I mean, there's a it twos really, program, really twos programs. I mean, yeah. in, in the Montessori method... They start at 18 months. Sure. Shining shoes and and cleaning windows. And those are my kids, you know. Like, I, 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 that's the system that I've, you know, um, subscribed to. But it is rather young. It is. But the things you just described are actually learning how to function in a world that they will inherit. Right? Whereas, like, the conventional school system, when as an adult... Are we ever in a room with 29 other people, give or take, who are all born within 10 months of us? It's like not a thing, right? So are we actually in the environment we're putting them in? Are we actually training them to learn how to inherit the world that they're going to inherit? And one of the ways you asked, how has the world changed? Technology. That's one of the main ways that it's changed. And are we actually giving our kids the tools not only to use the technology, but to navigate it? intentionally. And in a school setting, yes, they use technology. There's no question that they're using computers, but you also have to ask which kids are getting allowed to use computers, which kids are getting access to the latest technology, right? And which kids are being told that technology is a waste of time or it's a brain drain or it's right. Whoa, I need you to go into that. I need you to, I need you to explain that to me, which kids (laughs) are getting the technology and which, I mean, tell me. 
I mean, not all kids. We we have an assumption in the United States that public school is equitable across the board. That is how it's supposed to be. That's how it is in its best form designed to be. And it's why I say I'm actually not anti-public school education as a concept. Um, I don't think it's implemented in a way that serves children and families, which is a piece that often gets missed, right? So we send our kids to a school and they are gone for six to eight hours a day and they come home for dinner five days a week and then we see them on weekends and then they go off again and parents go to work. There's some practicality to that, right? Sure. But we are not always focusing on how that family unit functions and whether we're incorporating the values and the practices and the history and the ancestry of those families. And you see that most starkly with students who are not white. That happens a lot where we've recently heard a lot about curriculums not incorporating those stories, histories, ancestors, and values. Um, And the same thing happens with technology. So I was a public school teacher for a little while in special education in Brownsville, New York, which anyone who lives in New York City will know that that is not an affluent neighborhood. And those students, my students, were not getting access to technology or books the way that kids in Tribeca are. And that continues, and that has not changed. And New York City is one of the most racially segregated school systems in the entire country, which we don't like to talk about as New Yorkers, but it is. Um, and no, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. I do want to talk, talk about, about it. Too. Yeah, because, you know, it. I send my kids, I, I'm, I'm signing my kid up to a, a public school. I, I went to a Jewish school growing up. I still have friends for the past 30 years. We, we, it was such a tight-knit community. It was so beautiful. It was it, this and that. But I didn't know anyone other than Jewish people. And my whole longing to send my children to public school is for diversity is yeah, because I think I, it's such a gift. We live in New York City and there's nothing that makes me happier than seeing different people um, when I walk down the street, different kinds of people. Yeah. I mean, as a person who, you know, lived in a more sort of um, homogenous neighborhood, um, you know, in the suburbs, like that is so exciting to me. So I want to, I want to talk about being segregated because I don't know enough about it and you clearly do. So let's talk about it. You know, I do. It's become less of my focus recently, just the public school system. But, um, when I real, when I found out that New York city was one of, was, I don't know if it is the most segregated school system. I don't want to misspeak. It's either the most segregated or one of the top two or three. Um, I was mind blown. Yeah. Because one of the reasons I moved to New York City was for diversity. My yeah. first two kids, I raised two teenagers um, for a while in New York City. And my first two biological children um, were born in New York City. And one of the things I loved was I didn't, it, it was just a part of the fabric of our existence to go out on a bus and have my baby sung to in Spanish and clucked out in Russian and told she was pretty in Yiddish and like, and on and on and on. And it was just a part of the fabric of our day. Um, Whereas in other spaces, it's a lot harder to integrate diversity in a meaningful way, right? That's not performative. So when I realized, when I learned as a public school teacher about the segregation of New York City schools and where that came from, I was just and not only not only mind blown it wasn't really mind blown like it couldn't happen but more like here 
like yeah. here <laughs> this is what so we're disappointing okay it's like sort of it a subtle it's a, it's like a softer what that's the yeah. point yeah and i went yeah. from nannying in tribeca to teaching in brownsville like that was my like whoosh, like over here and um and if anyone is listening who isn't in New York and doesn't yeah. know, I mean, uh, that's like not very far geographically no. at, but it's at all, but it's like a world apart. Yeah. How so yeah. specifically? Just like socioeconomic, socioeconomic for sure. <laughs> I mean, definitely diversity wise as to who owns properties in each neighborhood. Um, I think the school, the school in Tribeca is relatively diverse. Like there is actually a pretty decent diverse student body there. Um, the one I'm thinking about the elementary school that I was familiar with. Um, but they also do a fundraiser every year that garners them millions of dollars on top of the funding they get. And my kids in Brownsville didn't have access to that. So when I say we have to ask who is getting, we say, but schools do technology now. They do, but do they all do it the same? And are they all being given the same message about technology and the access that it provides? That doesn't mean all homeschoolers and alternative homeschoolers, you know, are, are getting this amazing technology education. But what it means is that there is a system which operates in a certain way that is very rigid. And there, it's not easy to break out of that, not only in a district, but in individual schools. It's not easy to do it differently when you realize that your kids aren't being served the same as other kids. In an alternative setting, you have a lot more freedom to say these kids are not being served in the way they need to be served. And I'm going to change course, not only this year, but today. And that's a big difference from a system that has kind of a map for the quarter, you know, for the for the year, for the quarter, for the week. Like it all kind of builds on each other. And in an alternative setting, you can shift that whenever you need to. You can go backwards. You can fill in a hole. You can skip ahead. You can work at different grade levels. If a kid is, quote, unquote, ahead in math and, quote, unquote, behind in reading, it's not really a problem um, mm. when you're working outside of a school system. Yeah. I have such an appreciation for that, especially because, um, you know, because of the way I, I was raised and, um, you know, in like a religious setting and the way I see my kids in this Montessori environment and they're in mixed you know ages in that mm-hmm. that school system we didn't touch on the private school um, option but something I did want to call attention to is you could change on a dime if you have the skills like yeah I, I wonder how you support parents who either need to or deeply want to homeschool but don't have the skills the material maybe they need to work how how does that even possible so two of the things you said are actually very common assumptions one of them is very common and practical and actually does need to be addressed. And that's parents who need to work. There are, I work with many families where the parents work full time, be they a single parent or a two parent household or a multi-generational household, the parents and the adults still have to work. Um, and that's a practical thing that can often be solved 
I don't want to say a simply, but it can start with a simple mind shift and school doesn't have to happen from nine to three. There is no rule that kids have to be schooling or learning from nine to three. Wow. There's also no rule that says learning only happens when you crack open a workbook. Right. right? So there are actually ways to set up a babysitter, a nanny, um, uh, a grandparent, anyone that you would normally rely on or someone you rely on in the summertime for childcare. And it depends on the family and what their resources are. Um, but anyone who already has someone like that in their lives, there's a way to set up that day in a way that doesn't infringe on their ability to form relationships organically with the kids and, and do their days as they need to, but also is kind of taking note of what they're learning throughout the day just by just through gardening with grandma. That's mm. actually how many schools in New York City now have garden, have yeah. gardens or have gardens. It's now like a hot new thing. I'm, I'm like being very flippant about that. It's awesome that they're doing that. But actually kids can do that with their grandparents too. And it's not any less of learning. It's not any less of science or health to do gardening with grandma versus doing it on a rooftop garden on a school in Tribeca. There's, yeah. th- it's the same thing as well, long not, as you're aware of the learning. It's it's not. It's 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 kind of nicer. <laughs> like when Ness and <laughs> you know when, when my kids garden with uh, their grandmother Dan's Dan's um, mother. Like I just have to imagine their little nervous systems are so settled, so nur- like nourished. You know, like the receptivity yeah. of learning is very different when you're with a caregiver who you feel like deep intimacy with yeah safety with rather than the school system and this is coming from someone who like is decidedly sending her kid to to school you know or to public school (laughs) but I have to admit that like learning does happen in um in like a sort of more profound way when we are relaxed yeah that is human nature. And you've hit on something really important that human brains don't learn when they're stressed out. They don't learn when they feel dumb. They don't learn when they feel behind. They don't learn when they haven't eaten. They don't learn under any, any numerous um, uh, stressors. They just, no human does. We get defensive and we protect ourselves. So some kids will thrive in any educational setting. And my goal of clients is never to like bash any one schooling system or theory, right? Like all kids thrive in different environments. And we know that it's one of the beauties of homeschooling is that you can just, you can cater to each one of your kids individually Mm -hmm. um, without throwing off a whole, you know, common core curriculum. You're not throwing anything off by meeting them where they're at. Um, But my goal is less to like, bash different school systems rather than to recognize that homeschooling or unschooling has as much value as Waldorf, Montessori, conventional public schooling, um, private, you know, high stakes technology schools. Like they all have value and homeschooling and unschooling are no different in that regard. Oh my gosh. Um, So If public school works for a kid, that's amazing, and they're thriving there, that's wonderful. And if yeah. they're not, that's okay, too, because there's alternatives. Um, but you asked about resources and skills, too. Okay, I did. So, I'm so glad you're keeping track. We're <laughs> just common questions. So resources can actually be found anywhere. So we talked about gardening with grandma. That's a resource. People are resources, right? So 
if you have people in your family who are lawyers or you have people in your family who are um, garbage collectors or you have people in your family who are male people, those are resources. They can teach about the things they know just as well, if not better, than having a kid crack open a book and learn about how the mail system works, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, the library is an incredible resource. There are, not only are there numerous books, New York City is a great example, but a lot of library systems have a vast network that you can borrow, not just from the library that's in your area, but you can request books they don't have and they can get them from other library systems. Um, that's a great one. Um, audiobooks are just as valid as regular books, especially for neurodivergent kids. Or neurodivergent um, me's. I love, I am an avid reader on Audible. I also was a a narrator for Audible for um, many years. And uh, I just have to say, like, audiobooks really saved me because I am the slowest reader. The slowest I I can't find time to read with three little kids. No, you can't. But in the car, when they're on a long trip and they're watching their iPads, I can put on my audiobook up in my left front corner speaker and mm. listen to my audio book while they're doing their thing and everybody's happy. I love that. But I can't, obviously can't read a, a like a physical book while I'm, re- while I'm driving. Yeah. Um, I also just want to touch on technology. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll circle back. I, I told sure. you this on the phone that I, that I too am, uh, have ADHD. So this is the way the conversation is going to go, but you're used to it because you have some ne- neurodivergent kiddos and you're, you're keeping track. But I do want to talk about technology because I always sort of thought it was a bad thing, but it sounds like you're into it and I appreciate that. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you want me to talk about technology? I can talk about technology a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I, I think that technology gets a bad rap because children use it differently than adults, but like not really, but it looks like they use it differently than adults. So we often have higher expectations of young children. We often have higher expectations of a six-year-old, frankly, than we have of ourselves. Um, so yeah. I haven't been feeling well for the past couple of days and you know what I've done? Scrolled my phone. Yeah. Scrolled my phone unashamedly. That's what I'm doing when I'm like unwinding. I could be still doing productive things, I could be working on my website and and doing extra things, but I've decided to put that aside for now and allow my brain to just rest while I'm not feeling really like myself, and I scroll. When a six-year-old does that, why do we give them a hard time about that when we know we do it ourselves? Because all the blogs say this and that, and the programming is so strong. But you're absolutely correct. It gives him so much joy. And it's like, it why does. am I fighting the joy bomb? It's like, really, it's confusing. And they're also learning. We don't give them credit that they are learning. I've learned a ton of stuff by scrolling through reels on Facebook. Did I? Now, I totally waste time sometimes. It's totally, like, mind-numbing to, like, I don't know, watch old Dance Moms clips. Like, sure. But also, I'm also learning. My daughter takes dance. I am also absolutely learning what I do not want to do as <laughs> a dance mom for but so are kids. They are they are playing Minecraft, even if they're playing it for long stretches of time and, and doing what's called, you know, what we call binging. We all binge. I binge on, on Law & Order when I don't feel good. Just it's, to make yourself comforting. feel worse. Yeah, it's kind of... 
kinda. <laughs> well, it's familiar. Mm-hmm. It's familiar. Mm-hmm. I can zone out. I can also be asked 30 questions and I don't care because I've already seen these episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but, but why can we acknowledge that for ourselves, but we can't acknowledge that for a young child? Now, I do understand when adults say, look, I get that, but also I don't want to use technology this much. So I'm trying to prevent my kid from doing the same thing. And to that I say, but we're the first generation that's had this much access to technology, and we didn't have it as five-year-olds. Our children are the first generation to be born with an iPad next to them. They're it. So it's really a big experiment, and the idea that all technology is terrible for them doesn't make any sense. The idea that all technology and all scrolling is learning and healthy and great and they're going to be fine also doesn't make sense. But we are walking alongside them and partnering with them. And so putting this like big ban of like technology is bad for six-year-olds, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because how exactly do we know that? There's never been a generation before them that has done this and has had this much access, right? So is it the technology or is it the access within it that we're not, that we are not sure how to navigate with them? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then how can we kind of shift our narrative so that they're getting the practice and the learning and we're getting the practice and the security of saying, I'm learning how to navigate this well. I'm not just putting up blocks and saying it's bad because they will gravitate towards it. Because they, because it's great. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I was great. It's so fun. And like, and I also noticed in myself, like, because I'm trying to be someone else, meaning like follow someone else's rules around technology, um, my nervous system gets all mean. I'm just mean and shovy and and like, why? Is that really going to, is that really going to create the relationship between me and my son and my daughter? And them and technology that like I'm I'm looking for probably not probably are not. Are they going to? Are any kids? Are any humans going to learn to navigate something responsibly without practice? Are is anybody going to learn to do that with a set of rules? I mean, I'm not. I it's never happened. <laughs> it's literally never happened ever before. Wow, Jenny, you just blew my oh, mind, no. and I really thank you for that. Bye. <laughs> Um, I know that I know that you probably kept tabs on the third part of my question. Um, skills. Skills. You want to go back skills. to it? Skills. Yeah. So, yeah, that one, um, I think, can be kind of like picked apart in a number of ways. But the first thing I always say to people when they say to me, I have to do this. I have to homeschool for pick a reason. But I can't and I don't know how. I always say to them what's your highest level of education? And almost always the people who tell me they can't tell me they have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree, almost all of them. And I go, how old are your kids? And they say second grade. And I go, does that tell you something that you went through this entire conventional school system and you don't feel capable of teaching your second grader or your sixth grader or your eighth grader? Or my kindergartner. Jenny, or my kindergarten. Oh my God, you're right. Like, um, or your kindergartner, yeah. But usually people take a step back and go, oh my God, you're right. How did I get through this entire conventional school system? And 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 what that always comes down for to me, for for me, it comes down to what did that conventional schooling system do to you? Mm-hmm. Not just for you. <laughs> 
because it did do stuff for you. You learned a lot. You took stuff forward. You have applied it to your life, and you are successful, and that is awesome. But what did it do to you that you have not yet dealt with? Because I think what it's done to a lot of us is make us think that we're not good enough unless we get the A. Anything less than an A is might be good enough, but it's not necessarily our best. We are not necessarily living up to our potential unless someone outside of us tells us we're living up to our potential. We need someone above us on a hierarchy to tell us we're on the right path, doing the right thing, doing it the right way. So what does that do to a human who now is faced with a five-year-old who says, I don't want to learn to read, and you fold, and you just go, I can't do it. What, what happened? What happened that we've lost our confidence to say, okay, the kid doesn't want to read. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to navigate that. I'm going to work with them. They're five. I don't know. What happened? I don't know. I don't know, but I <laughs> can feel it. Like, I, you know, um, Ness is like, when it, comes to, um, when it comes to learning, he really has a lot of facility. Um, uh, so I, didn't, I don't have to do a lot of teaching when, when it comes to yeah. that. Um, but my frustration tolerance is like non-existent. That's my issue. And don't Me say too. you two that that's impossible. Come on. No, it's really true. No, here's the thing. Everybody assumes that I'm like the homeschooling maven and I've just got like got it down. I feel ragey when my kid <laughs> cannot understand the concept of money just like anybody else. Right. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for it's saying true. that. Well, because you're a human being and so am yeah. I. And also, you know what that rage was? That was the rage put on us when we were, that was that, that's what that is. That's like, that's called intergenerational rage. Yep. Um, because we have like, even though the like software, software, I don't know. One of the bits of us knows they don't know. Of course they don't know the right. hardware, the like, I don't know, the imprinted, experience yeah. of teachers and elders who just were so frustrated or overwhelmed themselves totally. um, really is like ex expressing itself in those moments and like the fact that you can own it and say it out loud is yeah. like and like oh, I just I just love you for that <laughs> just love you yeah. for that that you can own it and say it out loud shame free and sh you're like um what has shame ever done for me or for my kids, or for literally society ever, nothing. Not a lot. <laughs> I mean, like, I definitely, I think that I'm aware of my baggage from conventional schooling in a way that I won't say, you know, all people aren't. I think. I mean, I think that your job? most people mm -hmm. want to, it's my job. It's, I mean, I eat, sleep, and breathe homeschooling and alternative education. I eat, sleep, and breathe talking people through these moments of uncertainty. And it's so much easier to see it as an outside person to say, you have a doctorate. You can teach your fifth grader science. If that's what you choose, if that's the method you choose, you can do this. But I went through the conventional school system and I don't, t I refuse to teach my kids money and time. I refuse. It makes me points. way too ragey. It's, I don't know why it wasn't like super hard for me, but like, maybe that's why, but that doesn't mean they don't learn it. It means that I know what my limitations are and I excuse myself and they find, I find them a different resource to learn that. That's so cool. And I don't feel bad about it. That's the difference. I don't feel bad about it. How did you get like that? Um, trial and error and practice 
No, the um, not feeling bad about it. I just like I I, I oh that okay great great okay we were still talking about saying cool 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 and uh, uh, I I need to know the difference between homeschool and unschool. Totally. So um, homeschooling is like an umbrella term, and within so think about like um, talking about education, but with, un, with underneath that umbrella that's called education, you have public school, private school of any numerous. Bents, Waldorf, Montessori. Um, I just had another one that just flew out of my head. But you have like a Reggio lot of different. Emilia. I mean, that was it, Reggio Emilia. I'm here for you. <laughs> um, I got your back. Thank you. Um, there are a number of philosophies and methodologies under that umbrella. So homeschooling is an umbrella term that does not encapsulate what everybody actually does. If you were to talk to a hundred homeschoolers, like a hundred families, you would get a hundred different answers to how they homeschool and what works for them. Some of them incorporate Waldorf, Montessori, Reggio Emilia. Like some of them incorporate, um, some of them do uh, schooling at the table. They open workbooks and they do very much what looks like desk work at their kitchen table. Then there are homeschoolers who unschool. Unschool is actually one type of self-directed learning. Um, so self-directed learning is a trust-based philosophy that basically says the, the parent and the child are working in partnership and it is the child who knows best what they need to learn at any given time and who they need to learn it with. So you may have an unschooler or a self-directed learner who... Uh, learns to read at three, but doesn't learn their multiplication facts until they're 13, if ever. Um, but when they need it for some exam, they need to get into a program they really want to be in. They pick it up like that because that's the time and the place that they need it. And it makes sense to them. It relies a lot on trust and it relies a lot on, um, like practical application and relevancy. So if learning is not relevant to the learner, it's not going to stick is like a very big tenant of oh um, the self-directed philosophy or the unschooling oh philosophy. Oh my God, Jenny. I have a really vivid memory of like being in fourth grade and I just kept asking the teacher, why do I need to know this? Uh-huh. And they would be like, <laughs> not again. And I was like, every day. I'd say, why do I yeah. need to know this? But right. I have a calculator. I see yeah. the map. Yeah. I, why yeah. do I have to know this? <sighs> wow. Yeah. Because I am a self-directed person. I mean, neurodivergence aside, like, if I wanted to learn how to sing, I learned how to sing. If I wanted to learn a whole new language, yep. I learned a whole new language. If I wanted to learn, if I wanted to learn Shakespeare, boom. Nothing, yeah. nothing, took nothing out of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's enjoyable. It's and deeply fulfilling. Learning. Deeply. And you're not learning anything less by starting later or by starting what some people would say inappropriately early. You're not learning any less. Oh, I and need if to you pause. start learning something early and you go, oh no, I don't understand the basics of blah, blah, blah to get to the next level of this thing I'm really into. You know what you do? You learn the basics. Like, because then it matters to you because you so desperately want to get to the next level and you go, no, I literally can't do it if I can't do this basic stuff. Then you learn it. Or you can spend 13 years 
learning things in like a specific order because someone said you have to because you might need it someday. Um, but the reality is everybody who went through that, I guarantee you if I put a ninth grade English Regents exam in front of you, you would have a hard time passing it. And it's not because you can't write or because you don't understand English. Oh my God. You want to, so I'm fluent in Hebrew, okay? My parents speak in Hebrew. Oh. I went to school where we spent half the day learning Hebrew. I, well, for whatever, for whatever reason, let's just say, um, the schedule had it that I graduated high school. The private school gave me a diploma. Mazel tov. Congratulations. You've graduated. But then the next day I had the regent for the Hebrew exam. Okay. Uh-huh. To, to pass the state system. I had already gotten into NYU. Okay. I slept uh-huh. through the regents. I'm fluent in Hebrew. I'm fluent right. in Hebrew. It meant nothing to me to take that regent. And, no. you know, I think we can, like, pathologize that experience all we want. Or we could just say, like, that actually makes sense. You got the diploma. You got into NYU. You speak Hebrew fluently. Why would you take a test to prove something you already know? Guess when I took that test? The year after freshman right. year of, of college. The nonsense. Why did you take it? The nonsense. I don't know, to graduate <laughs> high school. <laughs> yeah, I had gone to college school? before I graduated high school. I'm yelling. Do you, have, you probably know because you've done it, but people don't usually know that you can go to college before you finish high school and you don't actually have to get a diploma to go to college. I mean, I, th- I thought I was an anomaly. I didn't know that that was possible. There's a whole college in Massachusetts. One of my foster daughters went there for a time. Um, uh, Bart at Simons Rock. And they are designed for students in a, who are going into 11th or 12th grade who want to just skip the nonsense. That nonsense of senior year where you take a million electives and you finish off your last gym credit and whatever. Um, and skip ahead. And they will admit incoming 11th and 12th graders. Um who, you know, they have to go through a whole traditional application process, but they do not need a diploma to go to college. You know what? Come to think of it, my sister didn't go to 12th grade either. Because it, why oh. were we there? We were just sort of just like swirling around. I, we, like, what were we doing? And then we wonder like why kids done, are like doing drugs wet. and stuff. Cause like, because the... This human spirit needs an outlet. Like, we need to either... We need to feel like what we're doing is worth doing. You need to feel like your existence is meaningful. Uh, and, and no matter I how old you are. No matter how old you are. And that, for me, is like... It's like such a core reason that I homeschool my kids. Because I want them to know that every day their existence matters and that they are whole people right now. They're not training to be adults. My kids are people right now. They are community members and they are contributing community members right now. And that's not tied to their paycheck. It's not tied to what job they get. They are already part of a community. And I want them to know that every day 
That doesn't mean kids can't learn that in a public school system, but I think it's a lot harder when we send them off to be with other kids that are their exact same age and tell them what to do all day, every day, including when to eat, when to pee, when to drink water, when to move their bodies. And it's just, it's such a, it's, it's just, it's like the crux of why I homeschool Mm -hmm. is that I want, I don't want them to think that nothing is meaningful until they get that degree in that job. I don't, I don't want that for them. What if they don't make it? You don't want to lie to them. It's a lie. How many of us, how how many of us like got the job, got the guy, got the (laughs) diploma, got the, the, you know, got the gig. We got it all. And then we're like, why, why, what happened? It still feels like not great. Yeah. I still don't feel great. Yeah. Because it's a lie. Yeah. It's a lie. Yeah. That will will ever arrive. Right? There's no there's no destination here. There, like like life is an entire journey and it's so cliche but it's so true yeah. and you never actually know where your exit ramp is. You have no idea. And you also don't know if you're going to take a lot of like false exit ramps. But you never actually know when that journey is going to end. I cannot. It's it's like people think it's morbid, but I'm not being morbid to say I don't know if my kids are going to live to be 97 or 16. I have no idea. And if I was told that I had one more year left with my kids, would I send them to school? Nope. Sure wouldn't. I would do things a lot different and I would have them with me and I would be much more worried about their internal awareness and compass of their innate value for the time that they're here and their happiness and their joy and their connection. So when people say to me, like, you know, can my kid get into college? The answer is yes. And also, why do you care? <laughs> right? Like they can, of course well, they college can. Is fun. College, all the time. college is it's fun. Awesome. And sometimes it's, and then sometimes you need it to like, get a job that you might want. (laughs) I went to college. I have a master's, right? Like I don't, I don't think kids should not go if that serves them. But why is that the like number one question we're asking, especially when our kids are six and seven? Well, I think I know. Why are we not saying, will my kid be happy? Right. Well, I think I know because I think we, we were taught that our kid will be happy when they're accepted, when they're like everybody yeah. else that's the way our, sure. our parents really believed they really believed cool. that they really thought that yeah. if we were that we were like different that we would be ostracized this is an animal instinct that we inherited yeah. totally yes that is false yes yes and we have an opportunity to shine light on that and go i get it and i actually don't want to live by that anymore so cool. How did you come to this, to homeschooling? Um, so I had two foster daughters, two really lovely young women who um, I took care of for a while. And um, one of them came by choice and one of them came not by choice. Um, and the one who came not by choice was really and truly not able to function in a conventional schooling system in a safe way. Um, and by I use safe on a myriad of levels. And so I was kind of thrust into homeschooling as a new public school teacher in this system that I was like, I can do this. I can make a difference. And then I'm looking at this kid going, oh, this is not going to work. So I got thrust into homeschooling unexpectedly. And um, it turned out to be the greatest unexpected off ramp wow. that I um, have ever 
encountered. And it's, it's really changed the course of my life and, and my children's lives. Wow. Can you tell me more about the foster experience? We've, I think I mentioned to you on the uh, phone before, yeah. you know, before, when we first met, <laughs> just that it's hard to find a mom, a foster mom to, um, to come on the show. And I have so much compassion for that experience. I know your kids are older now and I wouldn't ever ask about them, actually. I'm curious about your yeah. experience, particularly you know, for the audience who might be interested in fostering? Yeah. Um, so my foster experience was familial, which means they were both placed with me. Their families asked me to take care of them before any sort of social services or social workers got involved. So it is different in that I had a lot more freedom um, to make choices for them and with them. And I also had what I call a luxury of being in contact with their families who cared very deeply about them. Um, and I think that if, I can't speak for all foster parents, but I can say that I think something that gets lost in the foster adoption conversation is the inherent grief and loss that happens for these kids. Even for my foster daughter who came by choice, who is an amazing woman right now and is now a mom herself um, and an amazing one. Um, she wasn't with her family or her brothers during the week at all, ever. Um, and for a while, she went back to visit her family every weekend for hours on a bus. And even though she was doing something she wanted to do and pursuing a dream for herself and, it, and she was a participant in that choice and in that path, there's still a grief and a loss that she's not living that nuclear family life that she and her parents had envisioned when she was born, mm -hmm. right? Like for her whole life, she just assumed she would like live in this nuclear family and like grow up and graduate and do the whole thing. And then she made this different choice and it was exciting and sad. And there's often like not enough, there's not enough attention paid to that grief, that sadness, that loss. Um, and sometimes it feels threatening to the joy and the positivity and the relationship building on the other side, but it's not like they can live, they can live in tandem. Both can be true. Um, so just say to anyone who's like looking to foster that just, just like knowing that there's like a level of grief and sadness there. And it, it's wonderful to form those connections with these kids. Um, it's, it's also a big responsibility to make sure that they have the outlets to like express that grief as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and you did mention that as foster parents, we're never going to save them. It's not a, no. we, we can't ever save any human being from their own life no. experience. No, saving a human, saving someone is just, it's like problematic on like many levels, but unless you're pulling someone out of the water from drowning physically and literally, um, you can't save someone. I mean, ultimately you have influence, you have relationship, you have care and love and kindness and boundaries and it plays out how it plays out. Why is it so hard for people to talk about um, fostering? Why is it so private? Um, these kids need their privacy. 
So these kids need their privacy, like, very much so. So I won't talk about my foster daughter's, like, private life other than to say one of them's a mom and she's an awesome mom. Mm. But, like, Mm. you know, I'm not going to give you details of her, like, family or her personal life or whatever. But even in their past, these, these kids need to be allowed not only privacy, but they need to be allowed to change and grow. And so some of these kids are going to enter foster care with a myriad of what people will recognize as problems or as things that are quote unquote wrong with them. Um, But those labels are so pressure filled and they don't allow these kids to like grow into the people that they choose to be. Um, So I think that that's part of it is just privacy and space and, and a protectiveness around not pegging these kids as bad kids. There is a stigma with foster kids, whether we like it or not, there's a stigma. Okay. Um, And so that's part of it. And there's also rules for anyone working with social workers. There's rules around what you can talk about and can't talk about. But also I think that any good foster parent does know there's an ickiness to celebrating being a foster parent because of that grief and that loss. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a, there's a bit of an ickiness to like being celebratory or encouraging people to be foster parents because there is, the foster care system is problematic and there's really not any getting around that right now. So unless you're willing to kind of like take that conversation on, it's really hard to like be positive and have like this positive conversation about foster care with people who've never done it because it's so hard to understand. Why? Why? Why are people interested in fostering? Oh, I think there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> I think there are positive reasons. I think there are negative reasons. I do think that there is a fair amount of saviorism um, around fostering. Unfortunately, I wish that wasn't true, but I really do think that there is. And I, and I think that I harbored for sure some of that in the beginning. For sure. It's a journey we're all learning. And I, I'm not afraid to admit that Like, I think that existed for me as well. Um, but I definitely think there's some saviorism in there. And then I also think that there are people who recognize what is wrong with the foster care system and they recognize the grief and they recognize the loss and they think, you know what, I can actually do this differently and I can be a support system, not only to this kid, but to that kid's biological family. And I actually can not only hope for reunification, but I can foster reunification, not just this kid, but reunification. And I can make it my goal to work with a family who wants this kid in their family to do whatever it is they're being asked to do. And I can be a support to them as well. And that is kind of the best version of foster care is the like, I'm not just fostering this kid. I'm fostering this whole family and doing what I can do to support them coming back together as a unit. Mm. It goes back to your conversation around education also that like, you're not just educating the kid, you're huge, the school or the teachers or tutors or babysitters or you're not just taking care of that one child that one child is a huge part of a larger system which is a family yeah yeah they do not exist in a vacuum and whatever happened to them and around them did not happen in a vacuum right, right? like it's not just a p- one parent screwed up and now the kid is with you and they're so much better and life will be roses. That's, it's just anyone who is foster will tell you that is just not what it is. But there are systemic 
issues. There's systemic racism. There's patriarchy. There's so many things that go into creating situations where parents fail in the eyes of society or a social work system. Um, some of them fair, some of them not fair. Um, foster caring when done right is probably the most work that anyone will ever do. Mm. Um, and hoping for a dissolution of parental rights is not the right, right reason to go into foster care. Hoping because, for what? Um, parental right termination. So hoping that the parent the biological parents will have their rights terminated. Um, it's just, it's not the best reason to go into foster care because A, you're probably going to be disappointed because the goal of foster care is reunification. And B, um, it's harmful because that is an irrevocable damage and grief and trauma to that child, no matter how great their foster family is. We love our parents. We love our parents. Children yeah, and we're love their to. parents. I mean, there's just yeah. like almost nothing they can do to, to, to stop that. Anyone. Children no. love their parents. You know, even even like adult children who are angry at their parents, why are they so angry? They love them. Because they're attached and they, and they love them. They yeah, love it's... Them. Um, and we're supposed to. Our, our, the human race wouldn't have survived this long if we had no attachment to the people who came before us. Wow. This so fostering is the hardest thing anyone can do. Harder than homeschooling. Uh, yeah, by a lot. <laughs> like, You're like, homeschooling isn't uh, hard. It's fun. I'm telling you. Homeschooling I can take days off of. Homeschooling I can say, it's movie day. That doesn't mean they're not learning, but I'm not participating today right. because I'm sick. Because the baby's crying. Because whatever. Fostering, you don't get a day off. Right. Yeah. You constantly have to be aware of how trauma is showing up and how you're showing up mm. in that narrative. Yeah. It's constant. I'm wondering if I missed anything on that on that conversation because I'm you know, the truth is that you may be the only one I'll get to talk to about this. Partially because you you know, um social services never got involved with you, right? Right. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, I think that if you had asked me, like, even six years ago, like right before my daughter was born, I probably would have been hesitant because I wouldn't have been able to put my finger on it, but I wouldn't have quite worked through what the what my awareness of the ickiness in foster care was and what um, might not have had the words fully to talk about the grief and the sadness and the trauma, even for kids, even like my foster, foster, she's a, she's my father. They're both my foster daughters, but the one who came by choice, she's still my foster daughter because that's just what the term is. But people hear foster daughter and they think something went wrong. Something bad happened. Nothing bad happened. She made a choice and her family made a choice and they did it together and in support and in love. Mm. And this was the right decision for her in that moment. Totally. Um, and it was positive, but there was still grief. Yeah. Um, and I had to kind of like walk through it to, to get it. So, and it took me time to then process it. So yeah, it's, and also foster parents are just, like I said, they're, it's never off. So like, when are they going to have an hour to talk? I don't know. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Especially if they're in it. 
Thank you so yeah. much for being open about that. Um, yeah. We're nearly at time and yeah. you have been so generous with us in your knowledge. I'm wondering if there are any parting words around education. I know we didn't touch on uh, neurodiversity, but if you wanted mm -hmm. to um, shed some light there, I am all ears. Um, the floor is yours. Uh, I won't dwell on neurodiversity so much as I will say that, you know, if a child or a family or a parent or a caregiver, a guardian, feels like the school system, whatever it is, public, private, or otherwise, is not working, you are not stuck. And there are options, and you can do something different. And I think that's like the biggest gift that I can give people is to say, you have options. They do not all have to cost a fortune. You do not have to be um, super privileged. I am not. Our family is not super privileged um, in some ways. Um, and, and you can do it. Like there are ways to build your confidence and to shift your thinking around education so that you can not only serve your children, but you can do it in a way that feels good and positive and intentional, mm. right? Like that's kind of the big takeaway of educating outside of the system is, are you making an intentional choice? And there are ways to make intentional choices, in and out of the system. Mm -hmm. um, and for New York families, if you are interested in making those changes, you can check out my website and my membership group. You have a membership group? I do. I am just starting it. It is about to launch. Um, I have a list of people who are interested uh, in knowing when the launch happens. Um, but it's going to be like in the next couple days, the membership signups are going to happen. And our first conversation is going to be about the IHIP, which is the first major piece of paperwork for homeschool families in New York. Amazing. Where can they find you? Uh, nyhomeschoolhelp.com. Are you on Instagram or Facebook? I am on Instagram. I am. I am on some of the social media and not all of the social media. All good. All good. I am on Instagram. Um, and my, uh, uh, my handle right there right now is um, Free Spirited Childhood. Mm. And yeah, I was a photographer like in another lifetime. I still do it for fun. I still document self-directed educations. Cool. Um, but that Instagram is a, is a marriage of, of photography, which I just love, um, and alternative homeschooling education. Gosh. Thank you for um, all of it. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving me the permission slip to use technology. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> holding space for, for my decisions as, you know, a peer and uh, it, sending my kid to school. Like, there's, there's such a judgment-free, yeah. um, shame-free <laughs> vibe I get from you. And it is so meaningful, yeah. especially from an education education perspective right because we just talked about like brains don't learn when they're feeling judged brains don't learn when they're being shamed so um i can really see how inspiring you are as an educator for parents and for for little ones just from that basic sort of open-heartedness that you you bring even when you're even when you're sort of like not that into let's say public school or whatever else, you know, I really appreciate it. It's, there are bonuses to it, but thank you that I'm, 
that makes me feel really good. I love the work that I do, and I um, very much want people to make choices in intention and in confidence and not out of shame or guilt. Amen. So. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad Caitlin connected us, and I, Me too. I look forward to connecting again. Um, I, I know that you mentioned yeah. that there would be um, a discount of sorts for um, the listener. We can link that in the show notes. Um, Definitely. Go ahead and send that over to Hoff Studios. You have our um, all of our emails, and I do. And we'll, we'll be sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll be sure to make that happen. Thank you so so awesome. much. Yeah, thank you guys. 